The next few weeks, I think we're going to have kind of an untraditional style of preaching here because I really want to uh, spend time going through a little book that I have. And I think it's going to be very interesting. There's a lot of life lessons, a lot of God lessons in this little book. And I'm going to be doing quite a bit of reading, especially today, because I'm going to read you a story. And this book is written by an author named Philip Keller. And Philip Keller died in 2001, so he's no longer here. The name of the book is called Lessons from a Sheepdog. Has anybody heard of it? Well, I would encourage you to go out and buy this little book. And this is a little book that we will gain quite a bit of lessons from about the way God wants to work in our life. A little about the author. He was born in 1920. He died in 2001. He was born in East Africa and trained as an um, agronomist. He was an agriculturalist, basically. He wrote several books over his years that expressed his love for God. He was a graduate of the University of Toronto and Brooks Institute of Photography in California. An in-depth Bible study and intense prayer inspired his writing and his writings and his lectures. So he was a, a godly man. And we're going to learn some lessons this week, or the next few weeks, based on a sheepdog. Um, I know Barb's going to like these kind of lessons. If I don't know if you like dogs or not, but I hope that you will bear with me at least uh, as we as we look at how God can can teach us through some of His simple things of life. There are seven lessons that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, and they're powerfully brought to bear from this true story. Uh, the lessons are number one: in the wrong hands, set free to follow, learning to trust, the delight of obedience, the test of faithfulness, love and discipline and available for anything. And I'm looking forward to the next few lessons here that I think we're going to find some really good things about what God wants to talk to us about, how he wants to um, instruct us through the life of a sheepdog named Lass. So allow me to read the story, and I'll try to make this as interesting as possible. Okay? This is a simple story about a special dog who shared life with me in my first sheep ranch. Though she bore the very ordinary name, Lass, she was in fact the most extraordinary dog. My memories of her companionship, loyalty, and love linger across the years as colorful recollections. Even more important and precious, however, were the powerful spiritual principles God enabled me to learn through working with this beautiful border collie. Some of us are slow to grasp the basic truths of divine design. We cannot always clearly comprehend Christ's call to us in simple service. For that reason, his gracious uh, spirit often uses the common experiences of life to shed the intense light of supernatural truth upon our path. Yet in his gracious, generous way, God used this dog to help see, help me see what he himself is like in character and conduct. He taught me emphatically what his highest purposes and best intentions were for me as his friend and co-worker. For he does make it very clear that as people, he calls us to special service with himself. As a lad, I had grown up with cattle. On our land in East Africa, my father had bred the finest of the breeds adapted to the tropics. When I came to North America to complete my university training in animal husbandry, cattle still played an important role in my career. I worked on various ranches and longed for the day when I would purchase my own spread and establish my own herd. It was shortly after this that I found a piece of neglected ranch property at the southern tip of Vancouver Island. 
Because it was so abused, the place did not attract much interest, but I could see its potential. It was an estate sale, so cash had to be paid for the property. The net result was I had insufficient funds left to purchase cattle, so I was obliged to start out with sheep. I realized that I faced a serious dilemma with my first flock. I simply had to find a sheepdog to help me handle the ewes, the ewes and the lambs that grazed on my impoverished pastures. My highest hope was to come across a well-bred border collie, for of all the breeds, they are the finest sheepdogs. One day there was a short advertisement in the city newspaper. It read, Wanted, a good country home for a purebred border collie, chases cars and bicycles. I hurried up to a neighbor's ranch, phoned the owner in town some 27 miles away. Yes, the lady replied, I shall have the dog. I still have the dog. Please do come quickly. No one else wants her. Her voice sounded desperate. In short order, I drove down the winding country road and pulled up outside the little cottage in the suburbs. The lady was waiting for me at the gate. Mr. Keller, I can't do a thing with this creature. The dog is plumb crazy. She's loco. She threw up her arms in dismay. All she does is tears after the kids, chases boys on bicycles, jumps all the fences, and races after every car that comes by on the road. Please let me see her, I requested, trying to calm the owner's excitement. Maybe I can do something with her. I have had dogs all of my life. She led me around to the back of the house. As we entered the little yard, a leaping bundle of dog flung herself toward me. She snarled and snapped, then collapsed in a heap on the ground. Instantly, to my shock and horror, I saw the dog was not only changed from, chained from her collar to a steel post, but was also hobbled by a second chain from her neck to her back leg. What a pitiful spectacle. Crouched in the dirt, the dog glared at me. Her, ear, her ears were laid back in anger. Deep, guttural, menacing growls rumbled in her throat. How old is she, I asked my question to put the owner to help cover the profound pity and love that welled up within me. And what is her name? The owner replied that the dog was two years old and her name was Lass. I looked at the border collie with mingled emotions. She was a dog gone wrong, almost beyond hope or help. Yet somehow I saw beyond this. In her I saw a keen intelligence and a great capacity to learn. She had a splendid constitution with deep, wide chest, broad back, and strong legs. The master breeders had done a magnificent job of producing such a superb creature. At two years of age, most dogs have learned all they ever will know, I remarked to the lady. But she is too beautiful to destroy. I am prepared to give her a chance to change. The owner was still tense, waiting for my next words. I will take her home to my ranch on one condition. I weighed each word carefully. If I cannot do a thing with her after six weeks, I will bring her back to you. She is too lovely a specimen for me to put her away. You must then destroy her. The lady gladly agreed to my proposition, so I unhobbled Lass. I led her out to my car and her put her behind the front seat for the long ride home. All the way, I talked her to her reassuringly in a gentle voice, and all I got in response were low growls. Occasionally, I would try to put my hand back to touch or pet her, but she would bare her teeth and snap back angrily. Reaching the ranch, I felt a peculiar inner assurance that somehow this torn and twisted dog 
would be redeemed. Lass was given a kennel with fresh, clean bedding. She had a bowl of sparkling water and a dish, dish heaped with food. She would touch none of them. Every advance made to touch her was rejected. Any attempts to call her were resisted belligerently. Day followed day. She was beginning to lose condition, and I even began to fear she might die. In an act of faltering faith, I settled on a daring step. I decided to set her totally free. The instant I did, show, did so, she fled into the forest behind our cottage. In a matter of moments, she had disappeared from view, and I wondered if I would ever see her again. For several days, I drove up and down the road looking for her, asking other ranchers in the area to let me know if they saw her, but there was no sign anywhere. Then one evening, evening I happened to glance up at the top of a large out, rock outcrop behind our home. There on the summit, Lass lay crouched like a hunting cougar, looking down at me. I called her name, but she turned and fled. That evening, I took food and water and placed them on the rock for her. At dawn, they were gone. I fed her regularly, but there was no response to any of the overtures I made to her. A couple of weeks later, a small band of sheep grazed near her lookout. I noticed she took a keen interest in them. She would cock her head, rise on her haunches, and watch them intently. Her latent instincts were coming to life. So evening after evening, I brought up a few ewes, ewes and lambs to graze near her. During this time, though, no intimate rapport had been established between us. I felt an enormous compassion for this beautiful dog. An intense longing permeated my whole being for her to come to me, to get to know me, to trust me, to learn to love me, to learn to work with me, to be my friend. Kind of like what Dick talked about today. Yet each week was following week, yet each I'm sorry, yet week was fouling week, and the time was approaching when she might have to be destroyed. It was an appalling alternative that filled me with dismay. Then, one evening, the sun was setting in a golden haze over the ocean. The sheep were grazing contentedly at the water's edge. I stood entranced, my hands clasped behind my back, caught up in the wonder of it all. Suddenly, I felt a soft, warm nose touch my hands. Lass had come. My heart seemed to stop with ecstasy. Contact had been made. She had found the fortitude to let me touch her life. It was the turning point in our association. Last discovered that she had a new master whom she could really trust. She had come into the care of one who really loved her, who understood her, who had only her best interests in mind. She also began to realize that not only did I understand her, but I also knew all about sheep ranching and the exciting part she could play in the whole operation. On the basis of our mutual affection and trust, I began to teach her the commands so essential for success. Because of her alert mind and fine intelligence, she learned very quickly the familiar phrases and orders such as come, lie down, sit, fetch them, stay, to the left, to the right, were readily understood and soon obeyed. One of the truly touching aspects of our deepening relationship was her utter devotion to me, where before she had been shy, distant, antagonistic, now she became my virtual shadow. Where I went, she went. My presence was her peace and her pleasure. She became essentially a one-man dog. She would eat and drink only what I provided. She was mine and mine alone. Strange as it may seem, the most difficult command for her to comply with was stay. Sometimes it meant 
that she would have to hold a bunch of lambs in the corner of a field or guard a gate or keep watch over some unruly rams while I was doing another job. It was very trying for her to have me disappear from view. She was eager to be where the action was. She would sometimes be sorely tempted to break faith and take off on other tempting escapades. Two of these were somewhat amusing, yet also posed serious problems if we were in the midst of handling the flock. The first was the colony of crows that had their rookery in the trees on a small rocky island just offshore. The black rascals would come winging in over the fields and swoop down low over last to taunt and tease her. Unable to restrain herself, she would leap to her feet and race away after her, torment, her, after her tormentors. She seemed literally to fly over the fields, and her graceful body appearing almost airborne. It was a spectacular show, but it did neither the sheep, the ranch, or her master one particle of good. The second cause of her discomfiture were the great land-clearing fires we had in the winter. Sometimes the flaming sparks and the glowing cinders carried up and away, and the wind were so exciting she would go leaping and bounding after them. Occasionally one would catch in her long, lustrous coat and then begin to burn with an acrid odor. Last would roll wildly in the grass, then shaking herself, come racing back to me as if to say, Well, boss, wasn't that a grand display? Yes, it was. But it had only wasted her energies, sapped her strength, and caused her to break faith. She could quickly sense when I was disappointed. She knew at once when a coolness came between us because of her misconduct. She would have to be corrected for her failure to be faithful in a line of duty. These were difficult moments for both of us. But they were absolutely essential for her well-being and mine. The operation of the ranch and our success with the sheep depended in large measure upon her implicit obedience. When the discipline was done, I would gather Lass up in my arms. I would caress her head, rub her chest, and whisper in her ear, It's all over, girl. Her eyes would shine again. There was a total reconciliation, a restoration. In pure pleasure, she would leap out of my arms, race around on the grass in a wide circle, and come leaping back into my warm embrace. Perhaps the most powerful memory that lingers with me about this delightful dog was her increasing willingness to do anything I asked of her. She was totally, instantly available for any task, no matter how tough or trying. On the ranch, we had some rather rugged, rough, cut-over country. The sheep would scatter out into this difficult terrain of rock outcrops, wild rose thickets, down timber, and windfalls. They were searching for special sweet mouthfuls of grass and leaves not grazed before. Because of my height, I could always see where the lambs were in the broken country. Last could not. I would have to send her into these tough spots to round up and bring out the entire flock. For her, it was virtually going, going in blind, trusting me implicitly. Bring them in, Lass. Bring them in, I would command her. Don't leave a single stray behind. And she would go bounding away over the rocks, through the windfalls, into the rose thickets. Often when she finally came out with all the flock, her face would be scratched. Her fur would be clogged with burrs. Her feet would be cut or torn. But she had obeyed. Never mind the suffering endured. Because of such devotion and faithful service, trust and affection were built between us. Looking back across those precious years at Fairwinds, I was learning from Lass what it was that Christ my great shepherd wanted to do with me in his fields as a co-worker. 
There is, there's a lot to hear. There's a lot to learn from Lass. Lass sounds like quite a dog. Reminds me of Joel down there at... Uh, you want to see a sheepdog? She's a, she's a border collie, isn't she? You want to see a sheepdog? Go to Don Kelly's. Don Kelly's got this black sheepdog with a white face. And when you look at that dog, I'm telling you, that dog looks smart. She's got eyes that will look right back. It almost looks like she's looking right through you. It's just an amazing little dog. But I want to talk about the first lesson. The first lesson that we learned from Lass is entitled, In the Wrong Hands. And as we started the story of Lass, we saw that a family in the city owned her and that she was not treated well at all, especially for a working dog as she was. She was meant to run and work and to herd things. That was her job. She was always on the job. This kind of a dog is a working dog. And she was in the wrong home. She was in the wrong environment. And in this home, she was not treated well. She was penned up and she shackled. And, and when she was able to be free, she would do things only to get herself more into trouble. Not because she was a bad dog, just because she was in a wrong environment. And the more she did, the more trouble she got in. So she really got into a really bad cycle of doing things, getting in trouble, doing things, getting in trouble. She had a, she had a problem. But she loved to herd things. And at that time, the only thing that she could herd were cars and bicycles. <laughs> so she would chase the car. She would chase the bicycles and the kids. And, and she would try to herd them. And you can see the problems she was getting into and, and all the issues there because Lass was not in her element and she was penned up in a life that she wasn't designed for. Now, the owner of Fairwinds came in, and, and he was a sheep farm, a sheep herder, knew that he needed a co-worker, knew that he needed someone to help him manage the flock. And if he could get a good dog, that good dog would be worth five good men. And so he needed a good dog. The problem was he didn't have one. So he went looking. He went looking. And as we read, Lass was a free giveaway dog, a dog that had been totally misplaced and was destined to be destroyed if a new owner wasn't soon to be found because the old owner, the original owner, couldn't handle this dog. The dog, Lass, was destined for destruction. As we look spiritually at the purpose of finding a working dog being worth five good men, there's a particular or a similar principle spiritually here as the Lord needs good workers in his finding the lost sheep. And those lost sheep for the Lord are people. They're our friends. They're within our community. The Bible refers to people as sheep. Now, sheep are not the smartest animals on earth. In fact, sheep are not very smart at all. I, I just happened to hear a preacher this week on, on the radio on, on, that I was listening to talking about sheep. And this is what he said. He said that it can be a little insulting to be referred as, to as a sheep. Why not be referred to as cats, for example, he said. You can drop a cat off three blocks from his house, and he will find his way home. Yet a sheep gets lost in its own pasture. And that's the whole point. People are like sheep. We cannot find our way home on our own. We must have Jesus in our life to lead us to our heavenly home. And that's through his saving grace. And that's why sheep are great examples for us. 
Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So we are, we are like sheep. The Lord looks at us as sheep. And Jesus, the good shepherd, found us and restored us into his fold. We, therefore, as sheep, have been saved, and, and now we are under the care of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. But he first had to pay the penalty for our sins. And then, and only then, could he become our good shepherd. It's interesting to know that Christ designed the system of sheep herding for people, as we are sheep, that he needs help. He's designed it in a way that he, even though he could on his own, if he so desired, he designed it in a way that he needed people to help people. He designed it in a way so that he needed sheepdogs. He needed people like us to be sheepdogs to help him guard and manage his flock. He could have designed it totally different. He didn't have to use us, but he chose to use us. And now we then are like lass. We now are a dog, a sheepdog, that are going to help guard and round up and tend the flock of sheep. So we're like a sheep and we're like a dog. Don't want to get you confused here too much. But we are lost sheep, but yet we're co-workers with Christ. So we take up the story where the new master rescues Lass from the uncaring master, and we can see many parallels here with us as Jesus rescues us from the hands of Satan. Both Lass and us are destined, or were destined for destruction. Both of us were were destined to be destroyed under the hands of an untrained or the wrong master. Lass didn't do anything in her own right, to deserve death other than the fact that she was under the wrong hands. She was in the wrong care of the wrong master. And so are we as Satan. If Satan is our master, we are destined for destruction. In order for Lass to be of value to the new owner as a working sheepdog, she would have to break her old habits. And her instincts needed to be channeled for the purpose for which she had been bred. Lass was bred to be a working sheepdog. And she had inner instincts that needed to be set free so that she could become the dog that she was designed to be, the dog that she was bred to be. But there was some work to do in Lass's life. The same principle holds true for us as Christians. We are created in the image of God, to be in fellowship with God and to be in proper relationship with Him. But something happened to us that destroyed this originally designed relationship. Sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, it destroyed this perfectly created relationship that man had with God. And ever since that time, Satan has had legal ownership of man. Man gave himself to Satan in the garden. And ever since that time, until Jesus comes in, or until the new owner comes in, Satan has legal ownership of our lives. And only when Christ died for us and became the sacrifice for our sins that we have the opportunity to be restored to our rightful owner and have a rightful relationship with God the Father. So Jesus became like the owner of fair ones. He needed to find a co-worker to help him tend his flock of sheep. 
And he saw an opportunity to rescue you and, you, and, and me in our hands while, while we were in, the, in the, the bad hands of Satan. While we were in the unnatural condition that we were basically in Satan's hands. Jesus saw us for what we were. And as bleak as Lass's situation was, our situation is just as bleak. We have no hope. Lass had no hope to get ever, ever get out of that situation unless the new owner released her. And likewise, we are in a bleak situation until the new owner, Jesus Christ, comes in and releases us. Jesus saw the condition we're in, and he had compassion on us, just like the owner saw for last. And Jesus could see the great potential of greatness that we have for him if we can be rescued from this original owner, Satan. And now that we have the opportunity, God wants us to be in proper relationship with him so that we can become, so we can become a useful co-laborer and a co-worker. But for this to happen, we must first be loosed from the tyranny of the wrong owner. We must be released from servitude to sin, a slave to sin, a slave to ourself, and a slave to our old master, Satan. We somehow must be released. And what this implies, then, is that as we are released from one owner, we are being brought under the management of another. There is no such thing as absolute freedom. For even though human beings are free moral agents in ourselves, that we can make our own decisions, we can make our own choices, that we must come under the control of forces and influences that are greater than ourselves. We are not the creator. We are the creation. And therefore, the rules are, whether we like it or not, we are going to be a servant of one of the two masters. We're going to be a servant of Satan, which is our self, our natural self, our natural desires, our natural habits, our natural issues, or God, through the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Freedom, we spoke at it just last week, actually. Freedom is not free from boundaries. Freedom is to live within the boundaries of the owner you serve. If you choose to select Satan as your owner, you're free to operate within his boundaries. And likewise, if you choose to select Christ as your owner, you're free to operate within his boundaries. The important thing to understand is that you will serve one or the other. No man is free to select neither. No man, will, no man can walk away from neither's, neither of their control. You will either serve God or you will serve flesh. You will serve spirit or you will serve flesh. Unfortunately, Lass had fallen into the wrong hands at first, and under her mishandling, her talent had been twisted and subverted for destructive purposes. Her hurting talents were being wasted, chasing cars and bicycles. And even worse for her, the more that she wasted her time running after something she had no right to chase after in the first place, she was finding herself becoming more and more shackled by the chains of her old master. And he was putting more control on her all the time. Likewise for us, we are under the bondage of sin. The more we sin, the more shackled we, we are bound to become. Jesus replied in John chapter 8, verse 34, he said this, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins 
is a slave to sin. Then the more that we struggle with our sin on our own accord, the more we find ourselves in the enemy's hands. And the more that he entangles us with sin, we become our own worst enemy and we get caught up in the life cycle of sin and death. Romans chapter 7, verse 14 and 15, we read, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but I hate, but what I hate, I do. And it, it becomes a terrible, twisted, contorted game of sin. And we get sucked into this game. We think maybe we can handle it. Maybe we can handle it better than the next guy. Maybe I can handle a particular temptation that somebody else can't handle. The reality is you don't and you can't. The reality is sin will get you like it got him. You cannot play in the area of sin and win. You cannot. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says, But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. The cycle of sin is death. Let's just say it for what it is, folks. Let's just understand how clearly the Word of God speaks it. The cycle of sin is death. You think you can manage it. You think you can deal with it. You think you can control it. Whatever those issues are, if it's drink, if it's sex, if it's other habits, whatever it is, you think you can play with it. You think you can control it. You think you can have fun in it. You think you can manage it. Let me tell you right now, in all love, you can't. You can't. You will lose because it says so in the Bible. Not because some preacher says it. Not because some TV evangelist says it, because the Bible says it, because Jesus says it. It says, after desire has conceived, they give birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. The process is the same for all people. It's when we give Satan the time and the chance to play in our lives, he will win unless, unless something else comes into play called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can stop it. But we become, without the Holy Spirit, we become trapped by our own evil desires. Until we're loosed, as last was by his new loving master, that has the power to loose us, we are trapped with no way out but ultimate destruction. We go back to the story and we read that even as the new master began to unleash her from the shackles of her bondage, she met him with blazing eyes, low growls, and bared teeth. She did not want his touch, and she trembled at the tone of his unfamiliar voice. And that is precisely what happens to us when the the great shepherd first comes to us, when Jesus first comes into our life, when when the Holy Spirit first gives us a conviction in our life. The first time that you may be sitting in a church service and the altar call is given and there's that conviction of the Holy Spirit that that small voice comes to you and says, it's you. He's talking about you. He's wanting you. He's wanting you. And as soon as we hear that, we resist the approach of the Savior. We resist the approach of the new master that's coming to free us. 
We resent his voice calling us. We recoil in fear from his overtures of goodwill. We doubt everything we hear about his good intentions for us. We're convinced that everything he brings to us will only be to limit us, to actually set us in deeper bondage of losing our self-will. Our wills are set against him, and we are not at all wanting to give our life over to him. Our wills are set strong in opposition to his. But just like glass, it's only as we submit to his will will we find freedom. It's only by the hand of God will we be set free. It's by his hands we're able to be changed into productive lives. Lass had to surrender to her, her will to her new master, and learning that chasing cars and bikes wasn't right, it wasn't productive, it only got her into more trouble, the only way that she's ever going to be an effective sheepdog and become the co-worker that she so badly was designed to be and so, and so badly what he needed, the only way she was going to do that is to surrender her will. Few of us think seriously about the sinister and subversive, subversive character of Satan. To many people, he's almost less than real. You look at around, you talk to society, you look at society, Satan is almost looked as a cartoon character. Almost looked like he has no power, he has no authority. And you know, that's exactly what Satan wants you to think about him. He doesn't want you to realize the adversary that he really is. He wants to keep himself weak in your mind. Because if he can keep himself weak and a cartoon character, and if you don't take him seriously, then he'll play with you. And he will work his will in your life. But he is nothing more than a liar. That's all he can speak. John chapter 8, verse 44. Your father is the devil, and you do exactly what he wants. He has always been a murderer and a liar. There is nothing truthful about him. He speaks on his own, and everything he says is a lie. Not only is he a liar himself, but he is also the father of all lies. Satan is not a little cartoon character. Satan is a very real adversary, and he's a liar. And if he comes to you telling you that he's not, he's lying. That's all he can do. That's all he can say. He cannot speak truth. Satan will convince you that your desires are right, that your desire to do what you want to do in your own flesh is right. He will convince you to do it. He will deceive you into thinking that way. And as you read in James, after that desire has been conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And then Satan just sits back and watches it happen. He doesn't have to do any more than that because it happens by itself. Once he gets you to believe that your deceptive lifestyle is okay, then he just sits back and watches you destroy yourself. You become your own worst enemy. You become like glass that kept snapping at the master. He was trying to pet her. He was trying to feed her. He was trying to take care of her. And the dog would only want to bite back. Well, we become that way too. And Satan just sits back and laughs. He sits back and watches. As Lass began the process, it was terrifying for her. It was very unsettling for her. But it was ultimately the best day of her life when that master came and rescued her from that bad owner. 
And many of, us have, many of us have been under the wrong management. We've been under the wrong hands as well. We likewise have been so mishandled that all of our original purposes of God have been distorted and have been twisted. And we are virtual slaves to sin, to ourselves and to Satan. Yet Jesus comes to us, and like the new master, he gently unleashes us. He gently takes the collar off. He gently takes the shackles off. And he says, will you follow me? Will you follow me? Like last, we need to have the time to learn to trust a new master. It may take some time. This didn't happen overnight for last. We're going to see the next few weeks, we're going to get into some other lessons that last teaches us about what it is to be a productive sheepdog, about what it is to live for Christ and to work and to be his co-worker. But for right now, I want to just conclude this, and I want to say, where are you today? Where are you today in your bondage of sin? Whose master, whose direction are you following? Who is your master Are you bound up with sin? Are you chasing things you shouldn't be chasing to no avail? Are you chasing the bad habits of life that are going to be destructive to you? See, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. Last wasn't a bad dog. Last was just chasing the wrong things. Last was chasing bicycles and cars and getting in trouble for it. If you're chasing your fleshly desires... That doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means you're chasing the wrong things. And those wrong things are ultimately going to be your destruction. But Jesus comes to you today. And he says, I'll free you. I'll free you. We're going to have communion today. Communion is for everyone that has Jesus Christ in your heart. It has nothing to do with membership of this church. But before we have communion, I want to give everyone an opportunity to make sure you're chasing, that you're chasing after the right master. If you close your eyes with me, please. Jack, you'll come. If you close your eyes, and just examine your own heart. And ask yourselves the questions, who am I chasing? Am I really chasing after Jesus with everything like we sang about earlier today? Are we really doing that? Or are we chasing after some other natural things in our heart that we want to think are after God? But really we're chasing the bicycles. We're chasing the cars. We're chasing things that are unproductive. And they may not always be sin, but like it says in Hebrews, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Sometimes we get our life caught up in the distractions of life. That's chasing bicycles. You're not a bad person. But you're still not listening to the right master. So this morning, as your heart is praying before the Lord and all eyes are closed, if you want to make sure, I would invite you just to raise your hand and say, Jesus, rescue me. Maybe the second time, the third time, the fifth time, maybe the first time, I don't care. Just recognize that who your master is. I see that hand. I see it. That's good. It's a, re- it's a reconnection. It's a, re- it's a reformation. Nothing wrong with doing that every day. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for honesty. Thank you for integrity. 
Lord, I just praise you. I thank you for this time. I thank you for the lessons that we can learn from the simple things in life. I thank you for this lesson of a sheepdog. I thank you for last. Lord, I pray that you will just give us all the, so many good lessons of life over the next few weeks as we talk more about that. Lord, right now, for those that raised their hand this morning, Father, I just pray the Holy Spirit's power to free from the shackles. Lord, free us from the chains of bondage, the habits, the sin, the things that so easily entangle, the distractions of life, Help us to really focus on you. Help us to make you the center point of our life. Lord, that we would understand that that's all you want from us is to be so close to you and that we would chase after you with all of our heart and with all of our strength. Forgive us, Father, for the times that we failed you. Forgive us times for the, for the times that we've snapped at you, that we've bristled up against you. Forgive us, Jesus. Cleanse us. We surrender our will to you now in Jesus' name. We thank you. We thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Jackie, let's just uh, let's sing a song as we're closing. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. I'm giving you my heart and all that is within. I lay it all down for the sake of you, my King. I'm giving you my dreams. I'm laying down my rights. I'm giving up my pride for the promise of new. And I your activities. I just would pray that you will just keep this lesson in your mind today. That it's a daily surrender. It's not a one-time deal, folks. It wasn't just that the that the new master came and took her 
away to the farm and that was it. No, every day Lass had to surrender her will. And every day you and I have to surrender I will to Christ. Every day. And it's not a burden. It's a blessing. It's joy. It's peace when you do that. So I just encourage you this week to keep that in your mind and keep that act of surrender, daily act of surrender in your life. And thanksgiving. Father, thank you for this day. One more time, we thank you, Jesus. Go with us now as we go to our homes and our jobs and our lot of activities. Bless us, I pray. Help us to be totally surrendered to you. Be our new master. Be our master. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you as you go to your homes today. Amen. Thank you.